So tonight is full moon of Asalaha Puja. We have the Patimokha and a night of meditation. So it's an occasion just to give up to the practice. sets the tone for our practice for the three months of the Rains Retreat. It's a practice of giving up, giving up to Dhamma, to Vinaya, setting aside other concerns. This is the practice of apamada, heedfulness. It's the last teaching the Buddha gave us. All conditioned things are impermanent. So bhikkhus strive on with heedfulness. The quality that when we bring up in the mind, the Buddha said it will always give rise to benefit in the present and in the future. We translate it as heedfulness or conscientiousness. of looking after the mind, looking after the practice. It's the elephant footprint of all the Dhammas. All the other Dhamma teachings the Buddha gave, they all can fit into the elephant's footprint of Apamada, just as all the animals in the forest, their footprint will fit into the elephant's footprint. So for a bhikkhu, that means heedful of our Vinaya training, heedful of the Dhamma, heedful of our meditation object. Mindful of our meditation object, mindful of putho, the breath, mindful of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self. Strive on with heedfulness is also about effort bringing up effort into the practice. So that's why we have these occasions we come together and practice for a whole night through till the following morning. The effort to bring up 
mindfulness, the effort to contemplate the Dhamma. Heedfulness leads to the deathless. It's the pathway to the deathless, to Nibbana. Ajahn Chah used to say, one who loses their heedfulness, their mindfulness, as if they die, you lose your mindfulness for five minutes, then you're dead for five minutes. Delusion, ignorance takes over the mind when we lose our mindfulness. So we're dead from the Dhamma and craving and attachment will arise naturally and which are, is a cause for craving, is a cause for attachment to arise. It's just the natural way of things. Ignorance of the Four Noble Truths means our mind keeps falling into craving and attachment, which keeps bringing us to suffering, stress, disappointment. Sometimes they talk about Appamada as being, when you have the quality of Appamada, you're truly sane. Your intelligence and wisdom and the skillful qualities of mind are present. But when we lose Appamada, we become Pamada. It's as if we go crazy or insane for a few moments, however long we lose our heedfulness for, then we've lost our sanity. So we can do unskillful things, do, say, think unskillful things because we've lost our heedfulness. And the Buddha always reminded us to contemplate death, maranamusati, to bring up heedfulness. When we lose our heedfulness, we tend to become intoxicated with life, constantly seeking out new experiences and trying to get rid of and get away from unpleasant experiences. And we recollect death, it brings the mind back to the present moment. It brings up heedfulness. Say like when the monks at Kosambi got caught into a great 
argument over the Vinaya to the point where the Buddha left them, went off into the forest. When he returned, he said they should re re contemplate death because it brings up heedfulness, makes the mind go quiet. You don't have an argument when you're facing death or the thought of death. A very powerful and useful tool for us to recollect death all the time. This could be the last night of our life. Every time you eat, it could be the last meal you have. You go back to your kuti, it could be the last time you walk back to a kuti, the last time you walk out from your kuti, the last time you lie down to sleep. Even every breath will be the last breath, the last in-breath, the last out-breath. It's going to happen one day, sooner or later. Now this recollection of Maranandra Sati brings up heedfulness. We become much more careful what we're thinking, what we're doing, when we recollect death. Brings up a sense of urgency and the sadness. Contemplating life, how everything that we might attach to and see as important ultimately is impermanent, transient. Heedfulness brings us back to the present moment. Applying our minds to the meditation object. If we're doing an all-night sit, maybe just waking us up. Cutting through drowsiness, sleepiness. Other times it's just cutting through laziness or the tendency just to indulge in moods and thoughts or seek distraction. Whether we're in the monastery or out in the world, that habit is so deeply ingrained because we're so obsessed with our senses and the objects of our six senses just constantly looking for the next thing to absorb the next object, the next experience, the next thought. With heedfulness we're cutting through that, aware of the impermanence of life, aware of the suffering of craving and attachment that we still have we're still experiencing. 
that brings us back to putting effort into bringing up mindfulness. Like those two monks in the time of the Buddha, Mahagala and Chulamkala. One was very heedful and the other very careless. And their brothers brought up in a family of traders. They spent their time traveling in a caravan, wagons taking their goods to sell in different towns. Till one time they camped outside Sawati and noticed all the lay people going towards the Jeta one to see the Buddha. They were interested to follow. They went to hear the Buddha speak on Dhamma became inspired to ordain. Mahagala being the oldest, real faith arose when he heard the Buddha teach. He realized even making money trading is never going to really bring us beyond suffering. So he ordained with great faith. Julagala preferred to just follow his brother, but he thought, I'll ordain when the time comes, I'll bring my brother back out of the robes. He's doing it more just to keep his brother happy and just as a temporary thing. Their underlying motivation was different. Mahagala was sincere in the practice, he's committed. Chulagala was careless, indulgent. He didn't try to meditate, he didn't try to bring up mindfulness. He just let time slip by. But once in the robes, Mahagala was sincere, so he went to the Buddha to receive some teaching. The Buddha said, <coughs> the heart of the bhikkhu's life is the study and the practice of Dhamma. Pariyati and the Padibhati. Mahagala said, I'm old now. I don't have enough time to study much. My memory's not so good. So the Buddha said, never mind, just practice. Dedicate yourself to meditation, developing mindfulness and contemplating. And he told him to practice a super gamatana. He said, focus on the unattractive aspects of sense, sense objects, sensuality, the drawbacks of sensuality, you know, whatever pleasures sense objects give us, it's still impermanent and there's the unattractive side that we tend to ignore. And the Buddha said, go away and contemplate that. brother Julagala hadn't even come forward to, to ask for some training because he was just always thinking about sensuality. He'd had eight wives and thought about his eight wives waiting for him, all his money and wealth and all the good times he could have. He was just biding his time till he could return to the lay life. Mahagala took away what the Buddha taught. He went out into the cremation ground. It just so happened the keeper of the cremation ground that night was 
the lady, she was the duty officer, and she brought in a corpse who was going to be cremated the next day. It was a beautiful young lady who had died, unfortunately, got a disease. But she thought it might be suitable for a monk to see this corpse. So she invited Mahakala to come and view the corpse, opened up the cloth shroud covering the corpse and the skin was still beautiful, golden, beautiful form, beautiful hair, everything still looking very beautiful and fresh even though she was dead. Mahakala said, oh, you did a good thing here to give me this opportunity to contemplate the impermanence of beauty. And when they come to cremate her, call me again. So when the body was burning, she called him over and he contemplated watching the skin as it changed from its beautiful, smooth complexion, started to blister and go dark with the flames and watch the body become charred and eventually burn away. And that night he attained arahantship, contemplating this in this way. Then they set off traveling with the Buddha and over time wandering between the villages and the towns, eventually they came back to their hometown, the two brothers and the Buddha and the other monks. And they had their relatives prepare a meal for the Buddha. And as is the custom, one monk went ahead to make sure that the place was ready for the Buddha. The seat was prepared, the food was prepared. So Chulakala went ahead, reached home, and his eight wives were waiting. And they only had one thing on their mind, and he only had one thing on his mind. So they all had so much lust, they just ripped the Buddhist, the monk's robes from him. He disrobed on the spot. Still the Buddha and the Sangha came to Dana. Some of the young monks were very disapproving of what had happened. They even were thinking critically of the Buddha for having let this happen. Then, as they were leaving, the Buddha left Mahakala behind to chant the Anamodana, as was the custom in those days. Just one monk would chant the Anamodana, and the rest of the monks returned to their camp in the forest. Again, the monks criticized the Buddha. They said, how can you let Mahagala stay behind alone? His wives are there. His brother's already disrobed. We're going to lose another monk. And the Buddha explained that Mahakala was an arahant. It's great merit for his relatives to make, hear the verse of Anumodana and make offerings to an arahant be different from his younger brother who was never very sincere in his commitment to the practice anyway. So Mahagala helped his family and then returned to the Buddha safely as an enlightened bhikkhu.
the Buddha uttered the verses that laziness and indulgence only leads to decline in the practice whereas strength and effort in the practice leads to progress and leads to liberation heedfulness is about applying oneself where where we need to apply ourselves apply ourselves to the sealer the bringing up of mindfulness and developing samadhi and then to panya, contemplation. We need to learn to look at our own minds, contemplate, understand how the process of avicca, pachaya, dhanha, pachaya, upadana is constantly affecting us unless we apply ourselves to the practice the mind will keep dropping away into attachment but attachment only is a condition for more suffering more disappointment more greed, anger and delusion more birth, more old age, more death whereas we are knowledge, true knowledge based on the arising of mindfulness and wisdom leads to the abandoning of craving, the abandoning of attachment and liberation of mind, freedom, letting go. So this is what we're practicing tonight and throughout this whole Vasa. Heedfulness is applying ourselves to the practice and to bring up enough insight to see through our attachments and let them go. And just as the five ascetics listening to the Buddha applied themselves, had already applied themselves to developing sila and samadhi then they applied themselves to contemplating the words of the Dhammachakapavatana Sutta and for Anya Kondanya it was a moment when all the factors of the past came together. So the sina, the samadhi, the panya, the right effort, the right mindfulness, all arising together and contemplating anicca dukkha anatta as he listened to the words of the Buddha, recognizing his own five khandhas as impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. So in that moment, with the brightness of sila, brightness of samadhi, and finally the brightness of insight into the three characteristics directed to his own body and mind. The mind goes to emptiness, emptiness of self, emptiness of the attachment, identification with self. With that emptiness there's a vision of Nibbāna, So his mind changed, the whole conditioning process of his mind changed from Putujana to Arya. It might only be a moment, a clear moment of insight, but 
we talk about it in so many ways through the scriptures and the teachings that we receive from our teachers and we put it out on paper the factors of the path the development of the parami the spiritual faculties the insight into the three characteristics and the penetration of the four noble truths but as an experience it's just a very clear insight into the nature of reality the way things are leading to fading away of delusion in our ichā purification of the mind and the view of the mind no longer views things as self anymore and we're fortunate that this wheel of Dhamma is still rolling on today still with us we have our teachers in the modern era, Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Mahabur, and all the other teachers that we respect. It's our good fortune that they're sharing their experience with us, guiding us, sometimes from afar, but still guiding us through their teachings. It's really up to us to motivate ourselves to keep returning to why we ordain and what the roots of good practice are what nourishes the mind with skillful states with apamada you're listening to the dhamma associating with the wise and then internally bringing up that dhamma that we've heard and reflecting on it and seeing it knowing it for ourselves probably the hardest practice of all, not, not just establishing mindfulness, but actually turning the mind to contemplate Anicca Dukkha Anatta in our experience, actually recognize, accept, acknowledge truth as it is. These five khandhas are impermanent, they don't belong to us. This body is impermanent not self, it's unattractive, it's dukkha. And just to stay with our own bodies, contemplating mindfully just for a few moments is already difficult. Even though intellectually we understand the teachings, but just to, with experience, acknowledge the impermanence, the unattractiveness of this body takes some determination, some regular practice, learning to calm the mind, learning to set aside our other distractions, and just observe the way things are with this body. It takes effort, it takes patient effort. We have to develop the right causes and conditions for insight to arise. This is why I three-month retreat time is very good for this kind of practice. We're not traveling, we're not too involved with our families and other affairs. You really take the time just to 
direct your mind to pay attention mindfully, heedfully to your own body. You know, every time you meditate, you set aside some time when you're feeling at your most calm, most peaceful, to contemplate your own body. Because it is hard to do, we have to give our mind a chance to really look with clarity, with calm. So learn how to do that. This is why we chant, the chant on the 32 parts of the body. When we ordain, we just take on the five recollections. We can extend that to the 32 parts of the body. Just learn to become familiar with how your own body looks and feels, how you're sensitive to your body, externally, the external body parts, the hair, the skin, the nails, the teeth. <coughs> then internally, run through them, you know, the bones, the bone marrow, the liver, the kidneys, the heart, the lungs, the spleen, the intestines, the liquids, the blood, the urine, the mucus, and so on. We compare it to, at first you're just, your mind is like a monkey because it's not settled, so you move from one body part to the other, so it's like a monkey with 32 trees to climb up. So you climb up the hair first, think about it, visualize it, remember it, understand it from different angles. And when you get bored with that, you move on to the hair of the body, the nails, the teeth, the skin, and so on. So you've got 32 trees to climb up and down to play on. But gradually, the mind will start to become familiar with these 32 parts. And one part will tend to be more easily recognizable, easily easier to concentrate on. It's like the monkey becoming happy with just one tree. Doesn't need to go looking at the other trees anymore. It's satisfied with its one tree and it stays there. So it's like the meditator becomes used to just focusing on one aspect of the body. He maybe has nimitas and different sensations of that area, that part arising often that hold the attention and then can use that part regularly, turn to it to counter lust and delusion and sensuality and many different hindrances. Even anger can be overcome through body contemplation. If you see a part of your body clearly, then you can see there's no need to get angry with oneself or other people because we're all just a collection of body parts five candors, 32 parts, four elements. You might take that body part, contemplate it further as an element, the water element, the earth element, the air element. Again, 
separating out that usual sanya that we have of this being as being a person, me, my, myself, with my own personality, my likes, my dislikes, my ego, my conceit, my arrogance and my stubbornness. This is insight, investigating the sense of self directed to the body it levels out this normal identification little by little might not happen all at once but little by little when it's seen no difference between this body and the body of others it counters our lust for the body our own body the body of others it counters our anger for others or even ourselves. brings the mind to equanimity towards this body see the body as just a body, a body part, the bones, the heart, the blood, as just a part of body without a sense of self. It has to be something we practice regularly, keep returning to when the mind feels up to it, feels calm, calm enough to do it and we keep returning. Jamahabua says it's like ploughing a field or when people were really poor in northeast Thailand they couldn't afford to plough then they just used a wooden rake using their own strength didn't even have an ox or a buffalo and just plough the field back and forth back and forth to break up the soil you just plough your body with mindfulness and wisdom back and forth, back and forth through the 32 parts or the 10 corpse contemplations or the four elements contemplations breaking up the sanya of a self the way the mind just automatically identifies with the body all the feelings and sensations that arise out of the body all the thoughts emotions that we have that are centered in the body, manifest as pleasure and pain in the body as well as mental states. Just keep plowing back and forth, raking back and forth, back and forth, little by little, breaking up this automatic identification with this body as a self. Till the mind really comes to understand and know and there is no self in this body, in the breath, in the bones, in the skin. This body does not belong to us, it comes through the power of karma, gives birth, our consciousness takes over, and we look after it and feed it through a life then it goes its own way back to the earth. There's nothing anybody can do about that other than to recognize the truth and let go. By letting go, the mind goes to equanimity, emptiness, peace. It's mindful enough, equanimous enough just to know the way things are, impermanent, not to be grasped that.
So we have a night of practice to dedicate ourselves to sitting, walking, wakefulness, heedfulness, being patient with our own mind, being patient with the body, feelings of pain, tiredness, hunger, patience with the pleasant, the unpleasant experiences. Ajahn Chah said, make your mind like a rock with the Dhamma, with the Sina, with the Samadhi, with the Panya, make it like a rock so it's not swayed by anything, not swayed by the words of other people, the praise, the blame, not swayed by pleasure or pain, good experiences, bad experiences, Just make it like a rock, practice patience, if you can sit still without moving for an hour, then try sitting for two. If you can sit for two, try sitting for three. If you can walk for an hour, then try walking for two. If you can walk for two, then walk for three. Just keep patiently extending the effort you put into practice, and this will help little by little bring you more calm and more insight. So I'll leave you with these words to reflect on tonight. <clears throat>